Welcome back to the Shema Podcast. I have a great episode in store for you today. I want to address a statement I've heard from many Jews over the years. The statement is the following. Dan, why do I need to learn Torah? Why do I need to do all these mitzvot and things that you do? Doesn't all God care about is that I'm a good person? So we need to dissect and break down what this statement means, what it's implying, and what it's asking. So let's tackle the easy part first. And that is, how do we define a good person? Isn't it subjective when left to our own devices? What you may consider to be a good person based off your calculations may be something entirely different from someone else. So that's one aspect of this argument is defining what is a good person. But let's get to the bigger picture here. There is a mitzvah, a halakha on the proper way to put on your shoes. Now, if you're new to Torah Judaism, you probably have not heard of this, but there is a correct way of doing it. You put your right shoe on, then your left shoe, then you tie your left shoe, and then you tie your right shoe. Now, of course, for someone who has not been exposed to Torah, I know the, what exactly is on their mind, and that is, why does God care how we put our shoes on? And what I want to do is answer that, but differently, from a different angle. And that is, why do we care whether or not we put our shoes on according to halakha? So my studies did not begin on the supervision of a rabbi. I just sat and learned. So my studies sort of probably went in a very unorthodox fashion because I started with the big picture, but that worked for me to understand the big picture of the construct, why God created the world, because it brought so much excitement into doing all the mitzvot, even those things that we don't understand that seem so mundane, like putting on your shoes in a certain way. The reason God began creation is for one reason, and that is because he wanted to have a relationship with another. Now, you can't have a real relationship with a slave where they have no free will, like what exists in the heavenly realm. You can only have a real relationship with someone else that is independent, or at least has the illusion, like us, that we're independent. And we have free will. The other problem is you can't have a relationship if you're a rich man with someone who's a beggar. Because as the beggar is extending his hand to the rich man for sustenance, for food, for clothing, all his needs, he can't look up to the rich man. He is ashamed that he has to depend on him. The reason God created this world is to not only allow us with the illusion that we are independent, thus giving us free will. But in this world, we can reciprocate. So we can receive from the Almighty and not be ashamed. So we can have a real relationship. That is what he wants. And that's whether we know it or not, is what we truly want. That is all we want. Every other want is simply an illusion. So how do we go about reciprocating? There's a Kabbalistic idea called Sitsum, and I'm going to be oversimplifying it, but in essence, 
before creation, all there was, was Hashem. So in order to create a world, a heavenly world, and a physical world, meaning the entire universe, he had to make space for it. But the space he made is within him. Everything, as vast as the universe is, beyond comprehension, in the end, the universe, as the scientists now know, is still finite. And God is infinite. So how do we reciprocate? Is by us making space for him. But the space I'm referring to is not a space externally. The space I'm referring to is within us. It is through the nullification of the ego. And that is what we are all trying to do. Now, without Torah, people try to change the world. But those activities, their view, their I, their me, on what they have reasoned to be the way of saving the world is about expanding their I and trying to control those around them to meet their version of making the world better. That is exactly what the Yetzirah wants us to think. What Torah is telling us is the way we bring about tikkun alum. We perfect the world. Is It's all focused on us internally. By improving our character traits, our me note, by nullifying our ego, our sense of self, and focusing on Hashem and the needs of others. So when I put on my shoes in the morning and I do it according to the way God has asked me to do, that mundane act has now been a way of me subjugating my will, the Almighty's will, and saying, I will put my shoes on exactly how you ask. Who is benefiting from that? Me? I'll give you a hint. Is it the Almighty who has no needs? And of course, it's me. A lot of objections to mitzvot come with, why in the world does God care? Why does he care if we wear wool and linen? The answer is, there is a reason. There are reasons for all these things, especially when you delve into the more Kabbalistic text. But in the end, what's most important is when we just do it because it's what the Almighty wants. That is what turns us into a vessel where we can receive the pleasure he wants to bestow on us and we're not like a beggar who's ashamed. We reciprocated. We submitted our will to him. We minimized our sense of I for him the way he minimized himself. I'm using that term oversimplistically. But in essence, he did create space for us to exist within. Those of us who go through life saying, I know what's right. I know how to be a good person. Not acknowledging God's Torah. All they are doing is expanding the I. They are not making any space for the Almighty. Now I have the great Rabbi Yokov will be coming on. I asked him to come on and talk about this. But do like a real rabbi does and source these ideas and where they come from in Torah. And Rabbi Yokoff Wolby is an example of how you change the world around you by focusing your attention on changing yourself. Because you see what happens is when you focus on improving yourself and improving your character and aligning with the way God interacts with this world, what naturally happens is people get drawn to you. And when they're drawn to a person like this that emulates so much 
the way the Almighty interacts with us in this world, that you naturally want to emulate that person. So you end up influencing others, but not by being a control freak, but by simply focusing on improving yourself. That leads to naturally other people wanting to mirror your behavior. You know, I'm going to summarize this introduction before we bring on Rabbi Wolby by stating the answer to the question, doesn't all God care about is that I'm a good person? And the answer, I guess, is yes. If you define a good person the way the Almighty does, and a Jew has a different definition because they have different responsibilities than the non-Jew. You see, my friends, Judaism is not a religion. Judaism is a job description. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Rabbi, so good to have you back again on the Shema Podcast. Whenever I'm in your office, I feel 10% more intelligent, 20% happier, I love the little knickknacks that you have over here. This chair is so comfortable. If I had such an office, my podcast would be way better. <laughs> well, when you have my level of limited IQ, then you try to uh, <laughs> do other things too. <laughs> exactly. I just surround myself with books so I feel smarter, even if I don't understand them. Well, I, I think they, uh, that's clinically proven, that just being around books, you know, the books that you don't read are the ones that are more important than the ones you've read. Because those are your aspirations. That's true. Good point. Excellent. Well, it's an honor to have you back on the podcast king, my rabbi who taught me everything. You led me along the way. I'm so indebted to you, always. So you heard my intro. My theme here is I heard that I've heard this so much. I can't tell you. People say this to me, but I'm a good person. And it's just, it's missing the point to me of life and their purpose here. So you come to someone and say, hey, you got to keep Shabbos. You got to study Torah. You got to wear tefillin. And he says, Dan, stop driving me crazy. I'm a good person. Don't you know I'm a good person? Why are you making my life worse? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you want to know what the response is? Yeah. Well, what do you tell them? I tell them what I said in the intro. I go, you are a good person. But you're missing out on what the real purpose of life is. Mm-hmm. And that is is bridging and creating this relationship with the Almighty. And the only time of your existence where you have this finite, max 120 years to have the freedom to reciprocate and, and do these things. And if you don't understand why you keep Shabbos, that's even better. Because you're doing it altruistically. You're doing it. Yes, exactly. And how does that go over? Not well. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Is it because it's not logically sound? I don't know. I'm not persuasive. (laughs) Did it work for you? For me, that was my driving motivation. Because I I, I started off reading things like Ramchal, and I, I started learning about the construct, and I was so just almost in tears learning about in those early days why God created the world and what he's trying to do that all I wanted to do was figure out what the mitzvot were and how to do them. I mean, so that's that's what drove my motivation. Mm-hmm. That's why I think that top-down approach, even though it's not sort of the the structure that you'd probably get in yeshiva, 
it did help me because then I just wanted to figure out what I could do for the Almighty. Well, in yeshiva, we're just brainwashed. Don't you know? We're brainwashed. <laughs> we're indoctrinated. We have no choice. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? A little kid from day one, they indoctrinate them. Brainwashed. Throbbing, throbbing. <laughs> but you always say brainwashing is a good thing. You're going to get brainwashed either way. Everyone's brainwashed. Exactly. It's whether it's coming from the, from the Almighty or from uh, CNN and Fox News and right the social media, media Facebook. social media, TikTok, yeah. the overlords in China. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so if you have to either you're getting brainwashed on default, you're not choosing how you're being brainwashed or at least, yeah, let the Almighty brainwash you. I, you know what? I obsess over this question and it's a, it's a terrifying question for me. So I'm fortunate that I grew up in a Torah-observant family with good parents in a, you know, a good, healthy environment, in a community of people that are very sensitive to Torah. I had the great privilege and honor to go to yeshiva. And there are a lot of people my age, or kind of my generation, we're millennials. We're millennials! <laughs> the worst! <laughs> I'm uh, 34, but I think I'm still qualified as a millennial. So... I always think about this question. What would have happened if I was born a couple of zip codes over to a Jewish family, but I wasn't indoctrinated and brainwashed? And I probably would have grown up like all my other peers, right? So they would send you to the one to a Jewish school. Maybe they would send you to Jewish Sunday school or whatever, not the yeshiva, certainly. And then you would go to school maybe, and maybe you would go to university and maybe grad school. And then some guy with funny beard and payas and side locks and strings coming out of them and something like that. Someone would say, oh, here's some tefillin or here's study Torah or don't you realize that the mitzvahs? And I always think about this question, like, I don't think that would any, any of them would convince me. I don't think I would be convinced. And to me, that's a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing when I'm putting myself in someone else's shoes who has a different perspective than I have. And to think, what would it take for me, knowing what I know now, how could I impart what I know in the event that me, myself, was the recipient of that and I didn't know that? And to me, that's, that's like the most critical question that I ponder about. Well, you know, you, you told me something early on that sort of led to the, me starting the small podcast. And it was the tactic that Abraham used. He didn't debate individuals. He debated and, and discussed ideas in a public forum. Mm-hmm but then just treated each individual with the utmost love and kindness and welcoming them and no, no judgment. He didn't want to trigger cognitive dissonance and, and confirmation bias. And everyone's sure. Every person walking this planet is sure. I don't know every person. Almost everyone in this, in this planet is sure that their version of reality is the right one. Right. And their version of politics and news and history and what's true, what's not, and what's real, what's legitimate, what's not. They've had it all, they have it all figured out and everyone else is either brainwashed, they're fanatics, they're crazy, right? right? I'm a good person. They're all nuts, right? Exactly. So, and if we were to come over to them, anyone comes over to us and they challenge that and that is threatened, well then cognitive dissonance kicks in, confirmation bias kicks in. And all the logic in the world doesn't, doesn't move. Right. Exactly. You know, we talk about politics. I, I like to think of myself as someone who is able to weigh all sides of an issue, or at least I, I, that's how I think of myself. And I feel like I don't have a political home because I don't really agree with any, any group. And it seems like the both groups, they just stick, they just stick to the talking points and to, you know, to the, the partisan points. 
and that's and that's all that matters. Right. Great. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna address kind of the 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 most central aspect of someone's life, I'm gonna tell them, hey, you are wasting your time. You're not keeping Shabbos. You're violating the the covenant. You're not studying Torah. And he's like, whoa, 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 are you attacking me? I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm a good person. Dan, I'm a good person. Why are you making my life worse? Why are you destabilizing me? That's how I think I, w- I would approach the whole subject. So I, I t- let, me, let me tell you my thoughts on this, on this subject. The first thing I think I would say to someone who raised the objection, I'm a good person, my sense is, maybe I'm wrong, but my sense is when someone says I'm a good person, they are trying to resolve a little bit of their own dissonance. I would ask the following question. Okay, you're a good person, but why does that matter? Why do you have to be a good person? What's wrong with being a bad person? Right. <laughs> Did you ever try that? No, that's a great argument, though. No, like, tell me, what is it, like, why is that important to be a good person? You know, if, if, if you believe, like many people do, many very intelligent and very sophisticated and very educated people, that you are nothing more than an evolved primate, right? Why is it important to be a good person? What's the, what's the logic behind it? You're a sentient, advanced, intelligent, evolved monkey, but you're assuming that you don't have a mission in life and you know, God doesn't exist. Of course, the crazy religious fanatics, creationists, those people are all nuts. They're all, they're all crazy. They're living you know, centuries, uh, in, you know, they're backwater, obsolete, arcane beliefs. They're crazy, right? That's right. what we think. That's what we would think, right? So why is it important to be a good person? The whole notion of saying, I'm good enough, I need to be good. Then I acknowledge, I need to be a good person, but I already am a good person. Why do you need to be a good person? Why? Well, I'll tell you the answer. Okay. The answer is, is that the people I know I had this conversation with do believe in God. They, a version of God that created the world, maybe not one that's controlling all circumstances and deeply involved in our life, but they believe in God they believe that there is probably reward and punishment, but in the end, what God cares about is that we are a good people in the way we interact with each other, which is why they can't reconcile why do I have to study Torah, why do I have to vote mixed vote. Interesting. That's an interesting theological architecture. Yeah. That they believe in God completely, real, and the mind knows what we're doing, and the mind's going to judge us and reward us or punish us for our behavior. But you and I get to determine what's good. As long as you're good, whatever that means in a, in a very nebulous fashion, right? Yeah. As long as you're good and not bad, then you get the reward. Wow, that's fascinating. And I think you know, there, there are some people I've had this conversation with over the last you know, eight, nine years or so is that there are some common denominators, integrity, being kind to people, which are mitzvot. There are definitely exactly the way Hashem wants us to act. But when they start to getting to things like learning Parsha, Torah, you know, the, the other observant areas like Shabbos and Kosher and all those things, they don't understand like, why would God care? And that's why I'm trying to get them to understand like, it's not that God cares. Why should we care? Well, I, I have a, maybe a different theory to this. I heard this from my grandfather, blessed memory, but they, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. They could both be true. We believe that every person has a soul, which is this invisible but supremely powerful and spiritual force within a person. Now, every person has a different kind of soul. Every person has a different level of a soul. Every person has access to different portions of their soul. 
once we get into the, the actual nature, the reality of the soul, it's a very complicated study. So I'm not saying that the most righteous person in the world and the most wicked person in the world have the identical soul within them, but every human has a soul. And that soul is frequently associated with our consciousness. That if I have an opportunity to make a lot of money on someone else's account and I'll never get caught and the IRS will never find out about it and the FBI will never find out about it and that person will never find out about it, but I'll feel bad. This like internal moral compass that motivates us to do good and to be righteous and to be to have integrity and to be just and to be moral and to be upstanding, that is a reflection of our soul that we have. And therefore, I have something within me. It's so deep within me, I cannot really extricate myself from it. And that is propelling me to be a good person. Then Dan comes over and says, hey, the definition of a good person, you got to keep the whole Torah. You got to study Parsha. You got to make sure you don't wear shotness and tying your shoes. What? what are you talking about? Right? That is the dissonance that you're trying to resolve by saying, well, I'm already a good person. You're trying to kind of get off the hook to assuage your consciousness by saying I'm, I'm doing enough and therefore stop bothering me. I don't want to have this feeling of emptiness, of, of feeling bad about myself, of feeling, of feeling terrible that I'm, I'm not living up to the standard that I know I should be living up to. So we have a soul and therefore we want to be good. We don't know why we want to be good, but it's not logical per se. You know? So I guess if you believe in God, but not in Torah. You know, I, I find this interesting because to me, like if you believe in God necessarily, that, that means... They might create the whole world, the whole universe, a trillion species on this planet. Such complicated organisms, such a dynamic world. Right. There's got to be a purpose for it, right? So there's got to be some sort of way that he lays out his plan, right? There's, there has to be some meaning if there is a creator because, you know, any intelligent person wouldn't make something as sophisticated and intricate as this world unless there was a reason for it, unless there was a purpose for it, unless it fulfilled some sort of role. So to me, if I accept the principle that God exists, I should be prowling, I should be on the lookout to try to find what the goal is, what's the, what's the abstract, what am I supposed to do? Where's the instructions? How can an intelligent being create something as vast and expansive and comprehensive and intricate as this whole universe, trillions of stars and trillions of cells and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions with this insane thing called a human and it'll be purposeless. doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe that's the angle. Hey, you believe in God. Why did he do it? Unless there is an ideology for what the purpose is, which is for many Jews, including me and my father and my grandfather, was that the purpose is to live a good life. Meaning you do well in school, you go to good college, you have a good profession, you raise a family, teach them to be honest and have values around those levels of honesty, voting a certain way. And then you save up enough money by being a good steward over your capital so that you can retire and then play golf. (laughs) <laughs> and so that the whole reason I think I became unsettled in my late 30s is that I hate golf. So I couldn't imagine spending you know the last 40 years of my life or 30 years or whatever hitting a white ball around a golf course. I think that's why I started searching for something bigger. Well, m- maybe the angle is 
that once some, you know, if we were to estimate how much time does the average person in this demographic, so these are people that want to be good people, and they believe in God, or at least nominally so, they, they claim to believe in God, but don't want what you're selling or what I'm selling, what the Torah is selling. How much time have they pondered the question, why am I here? Why is Dan here? Why is this universe here? Why, 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 why? Who, who would create something as comprehensive, as complex as this universe and not have a purpose? What's that purpose? Maybe that's the angle, just to think about that question. Because you, you're jumping to the conclusion. You're saying, I, I, I've done that work. I've done the legwork. I've thought it all through. And the answer is Torah. The Torah is the manual. The Almighty's complete, unabridged manual for life, for the purpose of creation. And therefore, morally, me as a creation of God, I must obey and adhere to the instructions that he gave me because that's what he expects of me. It means you're jumping to that conclusion. But maybe the angel to our, our dear friend and co-religionist who says, but I'm a good person, maybe the question is, hey, why did God create the world? What are we here for? What is life all about? That is a good question because the problem people have is there's really not time to contemplate such a thing. For one, you have sports games. You have, you got to watch your news channel to find out what's going on in politics. You got emails. You got social media. I mean, when is someone supposed to spend any time thinking about why God created the world? That's why the Almighty made us need showers. And because when you're a shower, you can't take your phone with you. Is that the answer? Maybe. That's one <laughs> solution. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, the, my grandfather used to always quote the Ramchal, who said that the best recipe to have a life well lived is to spend a minimum of an hour a day without any distractions, just pondering this question. Why am I here? What am I living for? What will be after I die? What does the mind expect of me? An hour a day. I'd be shocked if any of the people that we're talking about mm-hmm. have spent an hour in their entire life thinking about this question. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So if you, you know, if you haven't thought about that question, if that question's never bothered you, then maybe it's a little bit too premature for you to say, oh, I'm going to listen to Dan tell me how to tie my shoes and how to wear a and all that. Th- that's the answer. That's the answer. But, you know, you mentioned uh, Abraham in, I think in your intro, you mentioned him, unless I'm, unless, am I, um, I, might, I might be hallucinating. Actually, I did in, in a different version. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, it's your ESP. <laughs> okay. So Abraham, how did Abraham become the founder of monotheism? How did he discover it? So the Rambam tells us that Abraham was a ponderer. He was a truth seeker. He was someone who asked questions and followed answers down to their logical roots, to their foundation. He followed the rabbit holes of all the possibilities. And he was so determined in this process of truth-seeking that ultimately, if you're that determined, you'll find the answer. But maybe, you know, maybe that's, that's, that's the angle. Say, okay, you believe in God. You believe, you're not an atheist. You believe in God. Why did God create you? Why did God create humanity? Why did God create the universe? Why did God create the world? What's the purpose? That's a great question to ask. I think that's, I, I think the response is not an answer. It's, that question. 
And if that's what Abraham used to arrive at his conclusion, that's obviously a, a, a legitimate line of questioning. It's a legitimate line of questioning, don't you think? A- absolutely. You know, the, the challenge, though, is we tend to conclude that what's normal is what the majority of people in your sphere think is true or not true. So we, we outsource our thinking and our decision-making to, to the public? Is that what you're saying? I think that by default, that is what occurs. Doesn't that happen in the financial industry as well? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You're like, uh, well, you see, everyone's going in on this or everyone's buying this asset class yeah. or whatever. Yeah, we call it herding. Yeah. 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 Mob. The mob mentality. Yeah. There's no independent analysis, just like this is where everyone's going. So this is where I'm going to. So maybe that's the minimum expectation that God has of us. The minimum expectation is that the Almighty gave you the most, the most incredible piece of technology, and that is a brain unmatched by any computer, which is capable of asking these kinds of questions. And at a minimum, if you have 70 years of life to live at least once, use the superpower, the nuclear weapon, balancing. It's just balancing precariously on your shoulder. <laughs> Maybe that's the expectation. And you know what? If someone doesn't use that, then it's, it's a real shame. It's a real shame to never ask that question. Thank you for joining us for part one of But I'm a Good Person with Rabbi Yokoff Wolby. Stay tuned for the upcoming release of part two. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.